0: The book of Romans is considered one of the most influential books in Christian history, and maybe in some ways Western civilization. And I know that's saying a lot, but it really is. Its arguments and its theological points are are dense and huge for Christianity, for our faith, and many different paths have been taken up the mountain of interpreting it. Look, let me just start here. There's simply no way we can do a book like Romans true theological justice in a brief, quick overview video. Uh, The best that we can do, but I think it's important, is to offer you some background. As we talked about in our introductory video on the epistles, thinking about why is the author writing? Who's he writing to? What's the big idea? And then you can break the book down yourself and read through it. I want to give you some setting, purpose, what's happening, why is Paul writing this book? And then you can come away, hopefully, understanding how the book flows, what her main ideas are, where he's really going, and then read it for yourself and really let it speak to you. So that's going to be what I'm going to do in this video and what I'll be doing for all of the following videos walking through the epistles together. So first, let's talk about the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter sometime probably in the middle to late 50s. So you're 10, 15 years after Jesus. He was probably in the city of Corinth. Uh, And this was about probably 20 years or so before Mark wrote. So this was written before the Gospels, the earliest Gospels were written. So at this point, there aren't even any written histories of Jesus. This is just an early letter. And what we know about Paul is we read this in the book of Acts as well. He is planning a final voyage to go back to Jerusalem. And then his plan is to, to basically take some money he's raising to give them. And then he wants to sail to Rome and Spain and continue spreading the gospel throughout the empire. We know from the story that in Jerusalem, he's arrested uh, and that changes his plans. But because of what we saw in our reading Acts, he ends up appealing to Caesar and gets sent to Rome anyway. So he ends up there, but in a different way. Now, this letter isn't written from Rome. It's written to a Christians in Rome and he had heard that they were having some issues. So the gospel has already gotten to Rome, but he hasn't been able to go and visit himself. And this forms the background of the book and the purpose for the message. And this is, like I said in the last video, if you can grasp this idea, even though Romans is dense, it's deep, it's got some tough stuff, keep this part in mind, and it'll sort of guide your ship as you're reading the entire book. Let's talk about his purpose for writing. Why did Paul want to write to this church in Rome. What did he hear that was bothering him? Well, we don't have historical proof of this. Like there's no other letter saying, well, Paul heard this. We can simply look at the letter, break it down, see what Paul talks about and how he talks about it, and draw a conclusion about what obviously was important to him. So here's the heartbeat of it. Paul appears to be deeply concerned about a problem in the church. And the problem was the relationship between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Jewish Christians, Jews who had spent their entire lives being good, faithful, loyal Jewish people to Yahweh, now decided that Jesus was their promised Messiah and are following him, have now joined in with Gentiles who were formerly pagans who had nothing to do with any of this. And now they're all sort of together. And there is now a problem with being together, Because on the one hand, the Jewish Christians had spent their entire lives living a certain way, following the Old Testament Torah and all its rules. And they thought, many of them thought, well, we are the way. Like, Jesus was our Messiah, so our rules apply. And if these Gentile pagans want to join us, then they have to take on our way of life. If they want to become followers of our Messiah, our Christ— then they need to follow our way of living, which is seen in the Jewish Torah. So the question was, should non-Jewish people who want to be Christians have to follow this law, these rules, in order to become Christians? And at the core of that is a bigger theological question, which is, well, was following those rules actually what God really wanted? Did following those rules, was that actually what saved you or made you right before God? Or was that just sort of part of the whole being Jewish thing? And if it was just part of the being Jewish thing, then why should they bother? So at the core of this, you have an actual tension between real human beings, and then you have a theological question. The real tension is, should those Gentiles act like Jews? And then the theological question is, do they need to in order to be saved? But then, on the other hand, and this is another thing you need to know to make sense of Romans, you also had the Gentile Christians who appear to have had their own issue with the Jewish people. They seem to have thought that they could just write off Judaism, that they could just, oh, that's old stuff. We're something new. Like, we don't need to worry about all that old Jewish stuff. We're a different thing, um, especially considering how most of the Gentile believers probably had no connection to the Jews. The Gentiles living in Rome, they didn't know anything about Judaism. Um, and they probably saw how mistreated their Christian Jewish brothers and sisters were and thought, man, we don't want anything to do with Judaism. So there's a serious tension. Uh, there's, a, there's a thought among the Gentiles probably that Christianity didn't need Jews. and that was, We're a new religion. We don't need that old stuff. Surely God is done with them and we are his people now. And, but wait a second. Can Christianity even be understood without all the history, without the Judaism, the the faith and belief that goes all the way back to Abraham? Isn't Jesus the Jewish Messiah? So you have serious, deep-seated tension between the Christian Jews and the Christian Gentiles. How do we get along? How do we coexist? Uh, the Jewish people didn't even used to be allowed to have dinner with Gentiles. You weren't even supposed to associate. Now they're having church together, but for Paul, it is unacceptable. There's a divide. And so he wants to get to the root, to tell the story from the beginning of why we are now one people. It was always heading here. What God was doing was always arriving at the place that there was no longer Jew and Gentile, but we were one people. Paul wants both Jews and Gentiles to be of the same mind and understand what they have in common and what actually holds them together as a new family, which is the. The gospel of Jesus and his grace and all these amazing things. Christ is the king who's calling all people into his family, into this new citizenship, this new kingdom by faith in him and the power of the spirit, not through the old laws and ways of things. But that doesn't mean we just get rid of Judaism. There's, 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 he's looking for like almost kind of a middle ground, I think. So when you're reading Romans, keep that in mind, Jew and Gentile tension. Jews thinking Gentiles need to become Jewish, Gentiles thinking Jews are stupid, we don't need them anymore. (laughs) And Paul's like, wait, no, you do need each other. You're called to be united and be one. Let's talk about how that works. So when you read Romans, um, it's considered by many to be Paul's masterpiece. uh, Brilliantly thought out, but also... A bit difficult to get through for a lot of people. So if you're reading Romans, don't worry. Everybody struggles reading Romans. Paul was without a doubt an intellectual giant, and he wrote immensely deep and intricate arguments that can be tough to work through. In fact, we actually see that in later writings. The people kind of like Paul. You write in ways that we don't understand. You man, uh, and we still over often argue exactly what some of the main, like great theologi- theological scholars sometimes still argue about exactly how Paul meant this or meant that. Uh, it's, it's, and we can't get into that in this overview. I want you to know, if you struggle with something, it's okay, it's okay. Like it can be difficult to get through, but as long as you keep the main thing, the main thing, I, I, there's a lot to learn here. So along with Paul's reason for writing, let me talk a bit about how Paul writes, because this is also helpful. Much of Romans is written in what's called a diatribe. Now, you might not be familiar with that word. It's not common that we use it. But a diatribe is a style of writing whereby a person thinks about what someone else might say to their argument. So you might think of it this way. If two people are having an argument, like you're in a courtroom and two lawyers are arguing with each other, one lawyer says something, and they're, wait a second, I object you have almost like a back and forth. Well, you can't do that when you're writing by yourself, right? So a diatribe is when an author writing something will think to themselves, you know, if I say this, they're probably gonna come back at me and say this, but then I would say this. And so a diatribe essentially makes up and invents an arguing partner. And that's what Paul does. Much of Romans, especially the first part, he's arguing with like an imaginary person. Uh, as if there's someone else who's pushing back on him. And now, if I say this, you might say, and maybe you'd respond to that, but then I would say, and there's like objections and responses. And this is why it can sound sometimes when reading this, uh, that Paul is like arguing with himself. And it's like, are you contradicting? What what are you talking about, man? It's because there's this imaginary opponent who's putting questions and objections to what he's saying. So you this can be dizzying, but the way it, through it, is to keep our previous keys in mind, understanding Paul's style of writing, um, understanding he's diatribing. Sometimes he's saying things that he doesn't mean. He's actually putting it in someone else's mouth. You might be saying, but then I would say, uh, and read it from start to finish. Romans is not a letter that you'll ever understand starting in chapter eight. You need to start in chapter one. Uh, He makes an argument. He's a lawyer making a case. Uh, and be looking for how Paul's arguments all come together to show why Jews and Gentiles should now be united and restored as one in Christ through faith, not through following all those Old Testament laws like circumcision and all those things they had to do. Um, For Paul, this is ultimately a fulfillment of the entire Old Testament story. It was always heading here because it started before the law. And now God is doing what he promised he would do after Adam and Eve first sinned. So we need to think bigger than just Jewish law. We need to think about the whole creation and how all people are now into it. And that really brings us to the big idea, uh, the thrust of his argument. He wants to write in order to speak unity into the church, but what he actually says, his argument for why that is true is centered around the gospel, the gospel. And the gospel, or good news or great announcement, is the great announcement that Jesus is the Christ, the king, the one we've been waiting for. And he is the conclusion, the fulfillment of the entire story. The announcement is what God said he would do after Adam and Eve first sinned, he is now doing in Jesus. It is coming to this great point. So for Paul, the very nature of the gospel requires all human beings, if he's truly the king, if, he's, if this is how he's going to fix it, we all have to submit our lives to it and obey it and rethink how we're living and dividing ourselves all and come together and say, well, if he's the king and he's bringing hope and healing to the world, then whatever he says goes, we need to stop all the other stuff and turn our eyes to him and completely submit and give our faith and allegiance to this king. And that's how we'll bring about the world God wants to see, the lives God wants to see in us. So Paul's focus of writing will be a deep, theologically dense, (laughs) uh, intense, thoughtful, backed up explanation. It can be hard of how he understands the gospel, what it is and why it demands unity among God's people, why it demands a different kind of life, why it demands that we refocus and shift everything we are, including the way we divide ourselves, that we rethink all the Old Testament laws in light of what God is doing now in Jesus, why we rethink what it means to let go of our pagan roots and become different kinds of people. All of it needs to be rethought because God is finally acting to restore all the brokenness by calling us to submit our lives to King Jesus. Uh, so if you keep that stuff in mind as you read, it'll make a lot more sense to you. Uh, so let's do that. Let's just kind of walk through the book. And it's a big book and I, you know, I'm, I'll do a quick walkthrough, but hopefully this can help us keep our bearings as you go. Uh, the letter impacts itself one argument at a time in, I w- there's different, I would say basically like kind of four parts and all four parts lead to his one main point, which is God is doing what he promised he would do in making one new and redeemed family in Christ. God was always about restoring humanity, not dividing it, not different groups. He's bringing it all together. He always promised he would, and now he's doing it. So you have kind of his thesis statement, the way that you'd start a term paper with your writing the main thing at the top of the page, right? Just like any good argument. His opening thesis statement, summarizing and and setting up the entire argument, saying right up front, what will be explained for Paul? These verses are his his point of writing, what he's all about, setting up the rest of the book. And so I'll just read it for you here, Romans 1, 16, 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, meaning this is gonna work out well for me. I'm not gonna look bad with this because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes or puts their faith, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, all of us. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God, the the, the truth of God, what he has always promised is revealed. And it's from faith, from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. This phrase, righteousness of God, was essentially a, a summed up way of stating God made promises in the Old Testament to Abraham to bless the world, to heal all things. And Israel's story was always leading to this moment that God would actually do it. And now we're seeing it happen in Christ. And our response is to put our faith in Jesus, to trust him. And, uh... You know, throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people believed that God was going to do this. And the hanging question in the air was always, when? God, when are you going to act? When are you going to do what you promised? When will we see the fulfillment and the world be made right? And his response in the book of Habakkuk was, trust me, live by faith. And Paul draws us back to that. The, the, the The people who will be in the right with God are the people that trust him and believe he'll come through for them. And this is the issue at hand, the question the Jews were asking, uh, the event and moment in history when God would step in, break through the darkness, and turn the ship around, right, to fix it. For Paul, the gospel, the good news, was that God is now doing it. And the way he did it was by sending Christ to defeat sin and death and call humans out of darkness by following Jesus, all of us, together. Uh, That is the gospel announcement follow Jesus, to experience the promises that God has always made to restore us. So um, again, let's kind of walk through it. And uh, starting the first section, I said there's four sections, is chapter one through about five. Um, the world is messed up. We know that. We see it. Paul talks about our rejection of God leading to all the brokenness, all the sinful stuff. But that's the Gentiles, right? Well, actually, God gave the law to show people how messed up they had become. But giving the law didn't change anyone. It just showed people they were broken. And you know, just, just telling someone their breath smells funny doesn't change their mouth into a fragrant rose. <laughs> you know, beef and cheese stank is still there, right? So like, giving the law didn't change people. It just pointed out how messed up they were. So Paul wants to address an issue right from the beginning. Paul wants to sort of speak to the Jewish people and say, you keep talking about how those Gentiles have to become like you because you have the law. The law never changed you. If the law could have changed you, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. <laughs> all the law did was point out how messed up we all are, and you too. So Paul wants to like bring the Jews onto the, 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 the court bench as well. <laughs> We're all guilty. You having the law doesn't make you better. It didn't change you. It didn't fix you. So if it didn't fix you, if following those rules didn't make you the kind of human God wants you to be, why do the Gentiles need to do it? It didn't work in the first place. Getting circumcised physically didn't actually make you the kind of human being God wants you to be. Now what we need, Paul says, is a circumcision of the heart. We need something changing inside of us, referencing the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Um, And so now God is finally doing that. He's dealing with the problem of sin, not just giving us more rules. um, He's doing something great by sending Jesus, through Jesus and his death and his resurrection. He has been a faithful king who's defeated sin and death on the cross And now he's calling people to a different life by declaring him Lord and King. And in doing that, that's where we're going to find new life. That's where we're going to find him, not by following those Old Testament laws. So then in chapter four, Paul shows how this is the fulfillment of the promises God made to Abraham, who was righteous not by following the law or being circumcised, but just having faith. Uh, So that that's kind of his big idea, his big point here is like, to the Jewish people who are saying the Gentiles have become like that, guys, Abraham wasn't like that. Abraham didn't have all these laws and he was righteous. So that means the Gentiles should be able to as well. Those things didn't save you. Uh, what saved you was faith. The law doesn't save you. It, it just shows what God wants or expects that we fall short of. Grace is what saves and being empowered to do it. So then you get to part two in chapter five and you begin to see Paul explaining why this is different, Why is this, why isn't, is Jesus just more laws? Well, no, there's something different because our issue is our brokenness, our sin, and like we need something real to change it. How do we overcome it? Is it more rules, is it more laws? And no, here Paul gives us the truth. What Jesus did on the cross wasn't just to bring everyone in the family of God, but to finally defeat sin, to destroy its power over our lives by freeing us, like the Israelites were freed from Egypt, from slavery, freeing us from sin, not just here's more laws, let's defeat sin in our lives. This was the plan. The law showed us that we are sinful and it pointed our need to be free from it, to be free from sin, but it didn't actually break the power of sin. We couldn't love God the way we were supposed to because our hearts are broken and stony, right? But now through Christ, here's the key we have been given the Spirit of God, which fills our hearts with love for him and remakes us into the kind of people we're created to be. This is what God was always up to, returning his Spirit to his people. Those who put their faith in Jesus and receive his forgiveness and commit their lives to him are given the Spirit who begin to defeat sin inside of us. This doesn't mean Torah was bad or unimportant. It just means that that was the ship that got us across the sea, but now that we're on land or something new and that something new is following the Spirit. Um, And so the law was good. It was needed. But now the spirit is what we really needed. Uh, So whether you were a Jew and knew the law or a Gentile and didn't, it doesn't matter because we're all on new shores now. And the new shores are people who follow the spirit. So then he's like, okay, hold on. I know what you're probably asking. Well, if that's the case, what about the Jews, (laughs) right? Well, now in part three, you have chapters nine through 11 what does it mean for Israel? Were the Gentile Roman Christians right that God was done with Jews and we could just throw them off and be uh, done with them? How did their failure play a role in all of this? And how should they treat each other? So Paul now wants to tell the Gentiles they still need to respect the Jewish people and honor them. After all, they were, they were the tree you were grafted into it. Um, don't think God has just given up on them. God still loves them. They are the original family. You're, you've joined their family you following the Jewish king, right? You're swearing loyalty to the Jewish king. So there's a very, this is a very deep section. I don't want to get too much into it that many people spend a lot of time arguing over. But as you're reading through 9 and 11, just understand that Paul is now speaking to the Gentiles saying, I want you to honor and respect them. God has a plan. God loves them and God's God's still going to try to reach them. Um, they're wrong to be trying to force the law on you, but you're just as wrong to think God is done with them and that you're somehow a new thing. You're not a new thing. This is the fulfillment of Judaism. There's only one family and it's Israel and you're part of it. So he's, he's now spoken to both sides. All people are a new community with the power of the spirit. So love each other and things like that. Now, part four, I know this is a lot. You get to chapter 12, the rest of the book. Okay, so what does this new community look like? What does it look like to live as people in the spirit? And this is really Paul now getting practical, telling what this means for our lives. Christ has died and risen, giving us his spirit, so let's live differently. What does this new family look like? Well, it means we need to be transformed. We need to completely change our thinking. We need to give our entire lives to Jesus and and completely alter how we used to think and align ourselves with his truth and his spirit. Um, it's God's plan to remake all of creation through this one family. So let's let's join in, let's dive in, let's give ourselves to it. And Paul wants to make clear that the end of the law doesn't mean the end of Christian living, right living. We should be living in an even higher standard. So these chapters raise the standard of how we treat each other, how we love each other. Um, we are temples of God's spirit. We should be living holy lives, reflecting life in his kingdom of the world, not brokenness. And so there's a lot of practical ideas of what that life looks like especially if all this is true and we're now one family of God sharing in his spirit, how can we possibly fight and be separated? The gospel message, and now you kind of land the plane. Paul's, more than anything, it demands that we love each other. So Jews and Gentiles, stop fighting. (laughs) Love each other, accept each other. And Paul has now made his case for why that is. Uh, So the big idea of the entire book is the gospel is the good news that in Christ God is finally dealing with the real problem, the power of sin in our lives, by giving us his spirit and calling us to follow the true image, Jesus the Christ. And that breaks down all the barriers. It means we're not saved by following the laws and being circumcised and not eating certain foods. We're saved by following King Jesus and finding life through his spirit that leads us. And that means there's no longer Jew or Gentile. We're, just, we're something new. We're a new people group called to love each other and accept each other. All members of this renewed and restored humanity share the same spirit and must be united in love for God and for each other. So in this massive book, of <laughs> all this dense stuff, you end where we started. Jews and Gentiles fighting with each other. And Paul saying, no, 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 no. You're both wrong because you're both something new. Like you're both, you're both... The next step in a journey. Um, And so we're not going to follow the Old Testament laws, but we're also not going to throw off Judaism as if it's nothing. We're on the same journey, but now we're together. We're in the next phase of it. So we're all going to come together, live differently, be a different kind of people, and really shine God's light to the world. So Romans is an incredible book. It's the best explanation of the Christian belief system and the Christian life, even though it's very dense. I would encourage you. Read it. Take some time. Um, Some of you maybe are just kind of going through these videos quickly. I understand that, but this is a good place to just say, I'm just going to sit down for a couple days and just read Romans, looking at the way that Paul explains the gospel, looking at the way that Paul talks about how sin is being defeated through the power of the Spirit, and it's creating a new family, a new community of people. It's calling us to a different kind of life, and uh, this is what it means to be Christian. So take some time, read it together. Uh, In the next video, we'll pick up on his next very different uh, letter to the church in Corinth. We'll see you then, guys. Thanks.